Welcome to Below the Fold, the most honest and raw digital marketing podcast around. It's good to be back. Coming back with a bang. I might be hiring someone to speak for me. So you think you're an SEO ninja, eh? That was just my little fantasy in the back of my head. Here's the tip. Oh, I know the tip. Are you the one who told me the tip? I need you to come up with 50 business ideas. I'll be back in two hours. I think I need a new title. Welcome back to another episode of Below the Fold. This show is for marketers, startups, and anyone else wanting to know the ins and outs, the ups and downs of digital marketing. My name is Jacob Perry. I'm joined by Paxton Gray and Brandon Hassler. This week's guest, we have Paul Dowling. He's an assistant professor at the University of Utah teaching marketing and business, international business. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it should be noted, too, that he drove all the way through traffic uh, rush hour to get down here. So thank you. All the way up from Northern Salt Lake. Northern Salt Lake. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start with some current events. I have one story that I want to go through, uh, and then I'll pass it off to others who may have some. Do you have, do you have, do you have news, Brandon? I think it's just uh, in line with what yours was. All right, cool. And Pax? Nothing. You never have anything. All right, my news has to do with YouTube. It's YouTube news. So something recently just happened. YouTube announced, not just announced, but it's now available that if you are a YouTube channel with more than 10,000 subscribers, you are now eligible for live streaming and monetized super chat feature. Okay, because you told us about this before the show. I thought it was just a super chat, but you also gain the ability to do live streaming, which you don't have unless you have 10,000 subscribers. Is that right? Live stream monet, uh, monetization. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you can, can still live, you can still go live. You just can't monetize. Yeah. And so the super chat feature, which most people don't know about, is uh, and I'm just going to take this straight from the headline. It says the new super chat tool lets viewers pay to have their messages highlighted and pinned to the top of the chat window. So if you imagine it right now, you're watching a live video and you want to either ask a question or or uh, if you're really kind of into promoting your business and writing on the coattails of those who are um, streaming, you can advertise your business. Well, now you have the ability to pay money and get your either question, comment, advertisement, whatever it is, at the top of the feed. Um, anyway, Brandon, you have some. You, have you ever done a live stream? Um, maybe once, just like some test stuff on YouTube. I've done Facebook live streams. A lot more, but YouTube's always been a little clunky, but they've done some, yeah, new stuff that supposedly it's a lot more smooth. It is, is the comment uh, monetization form uh, only a part of live streaming monetization, or does live streaming monetization include things like a paywall to view content? What Are there other forms, or is it just through comments that you may potentially make money? Yeah, like make money as the creator? Yes, um, my mind just went blank. You can also say, I don't know. That's a, well, I, I use, I, I threw myself off with my question, but, um, <laughs> as uh, let's say I get 10,000 subscribers, uh-huh. I now can do it's according to this article, live streaming monetization and, uh, what was it? The, the super comments. chat, super chat. Uh, is is the super chat the live streaming monetization, or is that a part of the live streaming monetization? And there are other things I can do to get money from live oh, streaming. I see what you're saying. If 
yeah. I understand correctly, I mean, chat's always a part of YouTube Live regardless. In this case, I, I believe it's that same chat, but now you have the ability to basically no, I get that part. your questions. Yeah, no, I get that part. It says you, it enables live streaming monetization, mm-hmm. comma, and this other chat thing. Let's put the chat thing to the side for a second. He's wondering, Are there oh, other ways that I can make money? Like, can I set up a paywall? Say, to view this live feed, you must pay nine ninety nine. Not that I know of. I mean, you could try to do I, it. I'm not like your yeah. own third party type thing. But if somebody, I'm not asking about that specifically. I'm just saying, are there other ways that I can monetize? Just from the language of this article, we probably should have done some research on this. Outside okay. of like I, sponsored I, videos, let me let me no. read the, let me read this part. YouTube's live streams also come with the new super chat monetization tool. So that alone should answer your question. Allowing viewers to pay for more prominent messaging. Quote, it lets any fan watching a live stream stand out from the crowd and get a creator's attention by purchasing chat messages that are highlighted in bright colors and stay pinned to the top of the chat window for up to five hours. So how would you guys use that as marketers? Spam. Yeah. First thing that came to my mind. <laughs> well, that, obviously that's what's going to happen. But I, yeah, I, my question is, will the creator be able to dictate how much it costs? Or is it a bidding system? I don't know, and it doesn't say. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to see that roll out. I know you have 10,000 subscribers, Brandon. One day. Yeah. Where are you now? Uh, Like 2,300. I was your 1,000 Oh, you'll get there pretty soon, man. I should get there by summer. That's awesome. According to Social Blade. Can't wait, can't wait to pay for those highlighted posts. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. Okay, that's our current events for this week. Oh, uh, we were going to talk about Super Bowl. We're not doing that. Oh. We can talk about the Super Bowl. That's what I thought you watched we were Super Bowl, about. Paul. Did yes, yeah. Did uh, is there any kind of ad that stood out to you in particular? Two. Tell which ones? Uh, the uh, <clears throat> the candy, the uh, Skittles. Skittles ad. Oh. I'm always, I'm always impressed. I did love that one. Product yeah. in a in a positive light, funny, cute, just fits in with the the crowd. Is this something uh-huh. that you bring up in your classes? Like, I is do. this like? watch the Super Bowl commercials and we'll have a discussion. It used to be, but now it's after the fact. Now we'll go to the web that just cat- like, catalogs them. And then we, so we, you actually watch them in class. No, oh, you don't. Okay. I'll, I'll pull up a couple, but I, I send the students there and then I'll, I'll send them to a chat room to identify faves and maybe make comments. But the second one that I really liked was Febreze. With so, the bathroom break, oh, that was yeah. timed right before halftime. But I saw uh-huh, yeah. an earlier version that was running in the pregame, and I, I, I knew I kind of knew about this one ahead of time. And I thought, yeah, they gotta have that at halftime, and they did. And they did. Yeah. yeah, one of my favorite ones was Mister Clean, and you know what? Uh, that was on the. I got a, an email the next day saying five of the worst commercials, and that was on there. And I was like, yeah, right. That was awesome. It's <laughs> uh, wrong. Wrong target, right? Why did you think that was awesome? Wait, did you not think it was awesome? Uh, I thought uh, it stuck out to me. Yeah. I definitely knew what the brand was. Yeah. Uh, so that that hit its mark. Uh, it, it was a little disturbing. So so that's, that's, what, that's what the article said is, uh-huh. is when you get someone uh, uh, like a cartoon character that looks too realistic, it gets more creepy it's than creepy. it does. There's that like valley of uh, like uh, you can tell it's not a human, but it doesn't look quite like, fake enough yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah yeah so that didn't bother me and maybe that that's more telling of me than it than wasn't i don't know that it was the uh almost realism of the character it was more of like 
the sexualizing of a cartoon character. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, well, let me say, I, I really liked it because of that, right? Mr. Uh-huh. Clean has been around for years and years and years, and he's always so bland, right? Clean. Yeah, he's clean. Uh-huh. And, and and they kind of, it was almost, I'll compare it to Harrison Ford in What Lies Beneath. Did you guys see that yeah, movie? Yeah, He's yeah. been a good guy his whole career, and then all of a sudden he's... they flip the switch and he's a bad guy. Whoa, spoiler alert. <laughs> no, but I, think it's, I think it's been out long enough. Uh, yeah, so he's a bad guy. So it's it's you have this idea in your mind of what Mr. Clean and who Mr. Clean is, and all of a sudden uh-huh. it's just like, oh wow, okay, all right, I can I, I can get down with that. I will say uh, for those who don't know, Jacob is a fan of the awkward. Uh, he, he doesn't shy away from awkward situations by any means. So that may did contribute you feel to this. Watching that commercial, uh, no. Like, but like I said, like no, no, no. Like uh, I said, uh, it, it was uncomfortable. There are people seeing me watch this commercial. No, it just it just <laughs> felt uncomfortable. <laughs> I liked it. What about you, Brandon? Uh, about Mr. Clean? No. Or just what commercial yeah. stood out to you? Overall, none. If I had to pick one that, well, one that stood out that I just hated was that Justin Bieber one, which uh, yes. and I, I see that it I was just agree. one of the most. Awful commercials. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, but I guess it was so awful I remember it, which is a good thing, but or somewhat of a good thing. If I had to pick my favorite one, it, I realize there's a million reasons to not like it. Is that uh, GoDaddy one where the guy is the internet? He like wakes oh. up and he goes out and there's like a person yeah. trimming the tree. It's more fun to like pause the commercial and just like go through it frame by frame and like look. There's a lot at that all happens. Of the yeah. Little like references to the internet. All the memes. So I, I liked it more after like pausing and just going frame by frame through it and just kind of seeing all like what are his different tattoos, like the different photos he has in his house. You really, it's hard to take that in. Yeah. But I still, it's the only one that really made me chuckle. But I think I missed a lot of commercials. I got a kid now, so. I was uh, preoccupied we all got of the kids, commercial okay, break. Yeah. I got a newborn who's 100% dependent on me. Yeah, lock those kids in a room and watch the Super Bowl. That's what everyone tells me. Just put them away. Yeah. Visit them in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Skittles, uh, in terms of what made me laugh, that made me laugh the hardest. And I have like replay value for that for me. Really? I, 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 I found my, every time I watch it, I find myself wishing it would keep going. Like, uh, like I want more characters and like, I wanted to tell a story by who character, like what shows up. Like, uh, it just makes, and it makes me laugh how unnaturally fast that they scoot along the yeah, floor. <laughs> it was almost like they were on a conveyor. Yeah. Belt. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why that just but kept uh, you there. Kept yeah. You there, you're yeah. engaged. You're yeah. watching. You're, you're waiting for the punchline. Taste the rainbow. Right. And the, Bro, and the product the is, That's is right. there it's in, good. in like every shot. Yeah. And, uh, like we were explaining kind of before the show, I think where a lot of Super Bowl commercials fall short is they do something really memorable, great, and then at the very end is brand for like a split second. And people sometimes have difficulty remembering who that was. They remember what the commercial was, but they it's hard to attach it to a brand. Yeah. What was that Ram commercial with the farmer? <laughs> no, dude. That, <laughs> that is one of the best Super Bowl commercials, man. Uh, yeah, it was it was good in that it was moving and, and it, it made you feel, right? Yeah. But, but not great for branding. At the very end, you see a Dodge and it has their little their logo. But but the whole time I, I, you're thinking, I don't know about like a that. Gold commercial. I, I think it's be, like there are farmers, and it, we're probably getting too deep here. But yeah. for farmers, they're they're loyal to their brand, and so I think all you need is that logo at the end, and that's enough for the kind of people who buy trucks and work with trucks. That's all you need to attach it. The people who don't buy trucks, like myself, uh, yeah, I people like me may forget it, but I, I who knows? But I, I think someone who uh, is in the truck world is going to remember. You'll have a greater appreciation for farmers. Sure. 
we're talking about the so God God made a farmer commercial. I don't know if you remember from three years ago for by Dodge. One of my that's one of my favorite Super Bowl commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, anyway, last thing I'll say: the Kia commercial with Melissa McCarthy was the one that uh, got the most laughs for me. Really, it was kind of funny to see like uh, the whale, the part with the whale where she like slams it against <laughs> slammed it <laughs> that was, the side uh, of the boat. That was pretty good. That's yeah, pretty, that pretty good. good. Anyway, okay, so that's the Super Bowl. That's the end of our current events. Uh, let's get into Paul. Paul Dowling, why don't you take 30 to 60 seconds and tell us what you do and who you are? My life in 60 seconds. Yeah. <clears throat> so as I mentioned before, we started recording. Professionally qualified to teach business and marketing in particular. Been doing that about 15 years. Uh, started off teaching international marketing because of my background with the Peace Corps and a year of study abroad. And then I, I started teaching principles of marketing. They asked me to teach the marketing management course, which was case-oriented. Uh, I mentioned I taught – I was the first to teach the internet marketing course offered at the University of Utah before we had textbooks. It was just maybe we should offer this because – just because. Anyway, uh, I, I teach a variety of courses, but now strictly the international business, which is for non-business but also business majors, and then uh, marketing management that is targeted to non-marketing majors. <clears throat> so I've had to see a politically correct way would be I've had to take out some of the casework uh, and and make the online video simulation a little different. Uh, but yeah, I'm still a full-time teacher up there. Also faculty advisor for the American Marketing Association, the collegiate chapter, and I started administer and supervise the internship for credit upper division marketing manager marketing majors at the david echo school of business can get three credits for taking a course that is designed around an internship more on that if you're interested but Hmm. yeah those duties keep me pretty busy up there okay so you mentioned that you are professionally qualified does that mean that uh, prior to teaching, you were in the profession of marketing? Correct. So when you started teaching internet marketing, had you had prior experience in a professional? Very good question. No. My experience there was in education. Uh, I, I was I was very interested in online or technology for education. Uh, discovered the internet before it was graphic user interface. You had to know VAX commands. And and never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and, and yeah, my my passion has been technology, and so I knew about the internet, and I think they picked me because I incorporated more about online and technology in my principles of marketing course, the intro course, as well as the marketing management. I had a couple of cases where we looked at at metrics, analytics, uh, before it was a term, before it was common. I should I should put this out there before I forget and before the show ends, just so that it's recorded. Uh, but I want it to be known that it's my dream job to teach marketing at the University of Utah. Well, we'll bring you in as a guest speaker to start, and I can I can start I, I can certainly introduce you to people that could make that happen. Yeah, so not necessarily full time, but if you've got a nice <laughs> a night course, you can pull me in. And he wants pay. He wants it paid pretty good too. <laughs> Not community service. Yeah. Uh, the, anyway. Okay. So you teach marketing. You've been there for fifteen years. Something like that. Has, I, I have you taught all, the whole fifteen years at the University of Utah? 
Yeah, they they kind of stole me away from Stevens Henniger. Uh, but yeah, the, um, and before that, I was up in Montana teaching at um, Billings. They've they've changed the name. It's it's a part of the university system, but hmm. out of Billings, Montana, yeah. Yeah. I was teaching there as well. Uh, but moved here to Salt Lake City, and just as a lark, uh, because I don't have a PhD, yeah, I I went to check out the business school here at the University of Utah and dropped off my resume. Chairperson of the marketing department gave me a call, said, let's talk. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, by the way, I graduated from the University of Utah, so that's where the passion comes from. I'm the only Ute in the room yep. as far as graduating. I mean, you work there, so I, I consider you a Ute. I feel like Gotta be. there's some uh, uh, connection there. Uh, I, I want to introduce the topic that we want to go through today uh, and then uh, kind of get into something real quick and then come back to the topic. So there's been a topic that we have brought up multiple times on the show, and it's basically, uh, is a four-year degree necessary in order to succeed in the marketing world? Uh, and, and to go a little bit beyond that, we've got Brandon who, here who represents the boot camp side of the, the, the discussion. We've got uh, university graduates. We've got now a faculty member, a teacher, an instructor, a professor at a university in a university setting. Uh, that's what I want to talk about. I want to, I want to hear all sides. This will, I imagine, be like the, the cherry on top where we finally convince Brandon that a four-year degree is necessary. <laughs> I already, the last episode, I listened to it. Jacob and I were slacking earlier today. We agreed on, like, I thought it was like our best episode ever because the first season, it was very black and white. And I think that was because that was our format. Like we kind of had to uh-huh. debate versus this last one. I think we kind of separated like, okay, taking this into account, taking this, uh-huh. there was a lot of areas where we're like, okay, yeah. Like you agreed. I'd agreed yeah. on yeah, yeah. certain cases for certain yeah. people and whatnot. There was an episode recorded after that episode about this very same topic that we recorded maybe months later. I don't know why we entered the, the subject again. Uh, but Somehow we lost the episode, yeah. but it was such a heated yeah, it was awesome. episode that uh, we didn't bother finding it. Yeah, that's true. So real real quick, I, I just need to check this box off here that says Russell Brandon's Feathers. Just one sec. <sighs> Did you say Russell? Ruffle? Ruffle. I think it says Mike. It adds a lisp. <laughs> no, I said Ruffle. I meant Russell. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> you said Russell. <laughs> yeah, you said Russell. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's going to be the topic. That's where we're going. But before I do, I want to bring up Rate My Professors. Do you look at Rate My Professors? Try not to. Why not? Because <sighs> it's usually the the disappointed, disaffected, arrogant people that go there to post. I, it's the Yelp of higher education. Well, well yeah. you're right. I mean, any review site is going to attract the people who have negative reviews. However, Correct. the reason I felt comfortable bringing it up is because, for one, your rating is above average as far as in the marketing department. At wait, the wait, University which, of Utah. which title? Because there are different sites that do this. This is RateMyProfessor. This is RateMyProfessor.com. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you have, okay, so let me break it down real quick. For one, you have uh, 20, sorry, let me pull up this spreadsheet because I actually put this down. You have 27 reviews, which is the most out of all the other professors oh. in the marketing department. Uh, and uh, so the average is actually seven. So seven reviews, you have 27. Wow. Uh, as far as the rating, you have a 3.5 out of five, which is actually pretty dang good. It's above average. The average is 3.3. Uh, hmm. And there are very few people who have a higher rating than you. 
And that's one of the reasons why I felt comfortable bringing it up is because Interesting. You know, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel pretty good bringing this up because he's got a pretty good rating. Um, so you say you try not to look at it. The reason I ask whether or not you do is because some people like if for me, for example, I would see it as a tool uh, kind of at the end of the year. You send out a survey saying, hey, how rate me right and, and, so that I can learn. I know Brandon does it at the end of his cohorts. He sends out a survey and says, tell me how I can do better, uh, which can be applied to companies. Companies do the yeah. same thing. The, there, uh, I agree with that point. I think there's a, a little difference, though. He doesn't send out a public survey to which all of the responses are made public and the respondents are anonymous. We so get, there's a little bit different. We get course there. evaluations. They should always be anonymous, anonymous regardless of whether or not you ask. Yeah. No, I'm uh, not saying but, they shouldn't be. But some people, these some are professors, not at the rateyourprofessor.com. Those are not anonymous. Or are, they are are? You oh, they're not. I'm asking. Oh, no, I think oh. they're, yeah, they're anonymous. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah they are. I yeah. think all of them are and should be. I would assume. Uh, but in some cases, I know that professors send their students to these types of websites. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but that's interesting. Uh, out of the, and this goes back to 2007. And since 2007, I think you've only had three out of the 27, like that were negative reviews. Hmm. And like you said, I mean, it, it sounds like they were slackers who didn't do well and just needed to vent to yeah, I fail explain people. why they do. I flunk people. As well you should. Well, does yeah. it show a grade distribution? Do you see a, a standard deviation curve that shows how steep or how flat my grade curve is? Mm, I'm curious. I don't. I don't see that. Okay. At one point, one of the sites had that, and I have a, a flatter grade curve. Hmm. I I give A's and I flunk people. Oh, I see what you're saying. Instead of yeah. instead of a lot of B's and C's. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So that's interesting. Um, I I thought I would get a different response. I thought mo- most professors were like. Oh yeah, I look at that all the time. I love that. But did you guys use it when you were? I've never left a review. Well, like not left leaving a review, but like did you use it as someone who I referenced it? Classes? Did you take this into account? Honestly, I think I did the like last year I was in college. See, I did the first couple years, then I realized uh, I don't really care. Yeah, I used it. I had the option. Talk to friends, though. You get advice from friends. Is this guy any good? Should I take this course or from whom? Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to congratulate you on your good rating. When I saw this, I was like, "Oh, cool! We're having someone uh, people like on the show." So, yeah. well, let me let me make a quote that my feeling on this. Uh, a chairperson, when he was giving me the annual performance review, said, "I'm not going to read the comments in your course evaluations. If I want to, if I want to know that you're the worst instructor we've ever had." I'd read the comments. If I want to find out that you're the best damn instructor that we've ever had, I'd read the comments. So he pretty much disallows it, as most of us do. Mm-hmm. You, you look at them to find maybe a few constructive comments, but the the fact is that you just get the range. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so that's right, my professor. Uh, let's get back to the topic because this is going to be the core of the conversation. Uh, I'm wondering. We need to we need to define exactly what it is we're talking about because I don't think the question was ever, "Do you need a marketing degree to be successful?" Well, I will say that that's the actual title of episode 106 when we first talked about this. Uh But but we don't necessarily need to do that. We can define it however we want. Yeah. Uh, So why don't you start us off and and define it? I think for me, uh, is a marketing degree worth it? Okay. Uh, that like worth the time and the expense. Okay, worth what? The time and the expense. 
like the ROI. So like putting in 30 grand in four years of your life, are you going to get a better return than yeah. alternative paths? My argument isn't necessarily that you're going to get a better return financially than our alternative paths, but uh, holistically, I think you get a better return. So, so really, in my mind, the question is, if you don't get a degree, like from a four-year university, uh, will you, can you still be successful? Uh, no, I mean, I think you can. Okay. So I'm saying, is it worth it? So for example, like for, for a a number of years, I've been thinking like, should I, uh, like, is getting an MBA worth it? And I've like come to the conclusion that no, it is not worth it. Uh, the experiences and, uh, connections I would get and things like that, uh, to me is not worth both the cost, which is very high for an MBA as well as the time which for me is also extremely high given that I have a child and I have to support my family. And uh, uh, so it's for me, uh, an MBA is not worth it. Uh, Okay. So I think, I think I may have an idea of how we can take this. Okay. Uh, Let's create a hypothetical. Okay. Okay. So a, 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 a young person comes to you and says, Hey, I'm thinking about going into marketing. Should I go, get a degree in marketing at the University of Utah or mm-hmm. Brigham University or UVU or, yeah. or should I go the boot camp route? Uh, how do you answer them? What's, what's your answer? So let's, let's actually start with Paul. So Paul, someone comes to you and they say, hey, I know you've been teaching for a really long time at, at the university setting. Like that interests me. I have an interest in that, but I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my money. Uh, and you've been in the professional world. I want to be successful. I want a job. I want to. I want to go all the way in marketing. Should I go to a? a, a should I go to the University of Utah? Should I get a degree, or should I uh, go the boot camp route, or should I go the Stephen Henniger's uh, route, or whatever? Not a not a cut and dried answer. Yeah, I would. Which start, is good because this is a forty minute episode. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I would start by saying definition of marketing includes. The creative aspects of advertising, it includes product development, knowing something about engineering. It includes entrepreneurship. It includes sales, personal selling, and sales management. So the marketing discipline covers a lot of different job descriptions and buckets. If you have a natural talent for sales, you build quick rapport, you can sell anything to Mm -hmm. anybody, you don't need a degree. You're going to go out there, and if you're going to find the right career path, somebody's going to hire you and recognize that. You're going to be successful in sales. But What, what about all the introverts out there? Well, if, if different aspects of marketing <laughs> appeal to you, then yeah. an education might very well be worth it. Uh, Paxton mentioned networking, contacts that you make in the process. Uh, the University of Utah is trying to sell the experience, not just a piece of paper, not just a degree. You can do that at... Uh, Phoenix. But if you want the, the connection of four years with colleagues, and uh, I mean, we're, we're investing so much in infrastructure up there right now to make the college experience rich sports. I mean, just to say it's a Pac-12 school, that gives you something yeah. else to do. But when it, when it comes to how much you're going to learn, um, a lot of it can probably be picked up on the road in, through experience, but you'll probably get it quicker and a head start in a classroom, but not everybody. Yeah. So, 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 um, what about the people who are concerned with the amount of time spent on subjects that are required, 
right? Like the, the, the core mathematics, the sciences or the languages that in their mind and in a lot of people's mind are irrelevant to the curriculum that they would really want to consume in order to expedite the, the learning process and get into the, the career force yeah, or workforce. Valid point. Uh, to that, I would say it's almost like a high school diploma used to be. A four-year college degree is necessary if you're going to go corporate. So if, you, if you're going to get in with a big company and climb the corporate ladder, at yeah. some point they're going to ask, does he have that four-year degree? Now, yeah. the MBA becomes more and more important as you get to middle and upper management. But at a level, they're going to say, what school has he had? Now, there are substitutes for that. But that much experience of a sort yeah. will qualify you. But it's it's the high school diploma of the 21st century. You kind of yeah. have to do it. And then you're trainable. Then the HR guy is saying, and I know I'm stepping outside of marketing in no, general, but saying, no, the, the college experience has taught this guy how to learn, how to be a team player. And, and we can evaluate him, not just by his GPA, but his extracurriculars and the other things that he's done. And it makes a more valuable employee. Now, if you're going to go f- to work for a startup or you're going to start your own company, then the, then the psychology or the cultural anthropology yeah. or that you took uh, might not have a direct bearing or, or, or a reason to do I'd even almost uh, slightly disagree with that point um, in that I think typically we're poor judges of what we think is going to be useful to us in the future. Uh, I have instances all the time where I run across a situation where thanks to my knowledge that I didn't know how I was ever going to apply that becomes useful in a particular situation, which I could not have predicted. Uh, additionally, uh, studying many different subjects can present different ways of thinking about a particular problem uh, that you can apply to different situations. Uh, and so I think there's op- opportunity that's even hard for the learner to recognize uh, and and realize that they got benefit out of that education uh, that uh, actually does help them along in the future. And I think they wouldn't even be able to articulate some of those things that they gained, uh, but their brain was molded in a certain way that uh, kind of is almost imperceptible thanks to that education. Good point. I, uh, I, I can't, I don't think anyone can disagree with you saying uh, people can't perceive that, right? Because maybe I'm not perceiving it right now in this moment. Uh, but I don't think I don't think it should be the university's job to dictate what uh, subjects people should or shouldn't take. And, and as, as an example, and you're right, like I I can't attribute uh, my you know any one thing to any one class I thought was worthless. But uh, as an example, my algebra class where I learned about uh, uh, in, uh, what's uh, imaginary numbers, I I can't even for the life of me think about a, a, a time and a place that I would mm-hmm. ever use imaginary numbers. Uh, and I think that I could have taken that out and still been yeah. okay. I, I'm not, first of all, I'm not sure that it's the university who's deciding what you should and shouldn't take. I think that is up to accreditation, which is a larger, like a higher authority than the university itself. They have to provide a certain things for the, your degree to be valid. That be. I don't know who, who's in charge of that, but, uh, to to maybe counter that point, uh, again, learning things like algebra uh, triggers a lot of the same things that happen when you learn a new language. Again, it's you're learning, uh, you're stretching your mind in ways 
that help you uh, learn new things down the future, uh, down the road. So like you learn one language, it's easier to learn a second one. Similarly, it's been shown that people who learn and do well in math can pick up languages fairly easily uh, because there's a lot of skills there that I don't even know if they all have, you know, names necessarily. You know, I'm, I'm very inexperienced as you can tell, but uh, there are skills that you're learning outside of the actual thing, subject matter uh, that that benefit you down the road. So, so what you're describing sounds truly altruistic. And if that were the purpose, the universities were putting those classes in place, I would probably agree with you. But I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they're they're saying uh, you have to take math because it'll help you learn languages later and it'll help expand your mind. I think they're making you take math because uh, it's it's another credit that you have to or another three credits that you would pay for. And it, and that money goes into their coffers. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't imagine them really trying to make you that much more well-rounded to re- require you to take these specific courses. Maybe we're spending too much time on this. I, I do want to bring Brandon in, uh, mostly because he owns a, a competitor to the university, and I want to get his perspective. Um, so, Brandon, from if someone came to you, a kid, not necessarily a kid, someone, and just said, hey, I want to go to school, I want to go into marketing, what path do you put him on? Uh, well, first off. I'm actually doing some stuff with BYU right now, so a friendly competitor, I guess you could say. Wait, what uh, are you doing with BYU? Can uh, well, you say? Doing some guest lecturing in some of their classes, and then they also want to supplement. I've noticed like a lot of professors are using like accounting. I've heard several times of students where their professor still teaches the accounting, but then they recommend like I want you to go get like this online course out there right. to kind of help supplement the class, whether that's included in the tuition or not. They're looking at like market campus, like the online options is that. But my answer really was like, I thought you nailed it on the head in terms of like someone coming to you and asking the question that Jacob asked. It really does depend, A, I think on the personality of the person, like how driven are they to learn? Because the self, I mean, the difference between today and 10 years ago is there's so much information online. Obviously, you have to be smart and figure out what's actually accurate and what's just fluff. But you know, anyone can be successful in anything, regardless of, you know, a piece of paper or, or previous experience and stuff. If they have that type of personality where they are driven, uh, I could go, you know, drop a thousand bucks, maybe probably on like a, a Spanish course online and, and probably learn a ton, uh, which is, you know, cheaper than a degree. But wait, real quick, I want to, you said anyone could be successful, at anything, regardless of a piece of paper. I, I This is a specific situation I'm going to bring up here. But I think there is limitations. Like if you want to be the CMO of Procter and Gamble, good luck getting that job without an MBA. Like yeah, you're not you're not getting my... there. Regardless of how hard you work, how smart you are, you're not getting there without that piece of paper. So that's where, and that was my second thing. And that's where we went really in line with you. Um, really, what is success to them? Because for some people, it's I just want to be awesome <laughs> at social. Others, it's I want to be the head data scientist at Microsoft. Yeah. You're not going to get that job, at least in 2017, unless you have a degree. I think a good example is without, I guess this example works because it doesn't sound self-promotional. Self-promotional, you look at the coding industry. So you have like a CS for a four-year degree, and then the online, or it's not in the online, the like coding bootcamp industry is blowing up right now. And TechCrunch did a really interesting article about a year ago. It was someone kind of, it was like, you know, one of the top, like, I forget what the chief titles are for the developer world, but they kind of came out really like a anti like bootcamp article saying how, yeah, you're going to learn how to code an app, but you're never going to get like that senior position at that corporate company. 
and Dev Mountain is based here in Utah, and they're one of the top uh, in the country. And their CEO, Kalen Sharp, wrote an article for TechCrunch as a response, basically saying how uh, the, the CS world has like an elitism problem. And he even admitted like, yeah, you're like, what we're teaching people is we're teaching you the skills that you need to go make an $80,000 salary, $100,000 salary. And for most people that to them, it's that's, that's oh, success. Yeah, that's, that's totally success. Like I'm totally happy doing that. I don't need the $210,000 senior analyst job. Not everybody is going after the CMO right. position, the C-level yeah. suite stuff. And I wasn't implying is, that. Yeah, I was yeah. just bringing up a specific scenario where like there is kind of a gatekeeper and you have yeah, to right. have that. You're right. And, and you know, actually, Paul, you brought that up originally saying that that piece of paper is valuable in some ways. And I wanted to ask if you thought that was kind of a trend, right? Because I feel like with boot camps, this up and coming uh, new way yeah. of learning, do you think that uh, a generational thing is going, some transition is going to happen to where, uh, call it that that piece of paper is going to be less important uh, and they're going to be looking more at the experience and, and, and what you're doing maybe extracurricularly, extracurricularly? And I'd, I'd have to answer a qualified no. Again, and I'm thinking globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went over 10% of the student body at the University of Utah's international students. It's much higher than that in the School of Business. I think we're hitting about 15%. And the world understands the value of higher education. And so to compete, to be in that sandbox, you kind of need the piece of paper. It's It's almost the passport. This is the ticket. And as unfortunate and as diverse as that might be, wherever you get your education in whatever style or, you know, courses you had to take that you didn't want, um, it, it's the ticket. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have to say it's not becoming less important. Uh, and, and Brandon even brings up that at least, at least, sorry, but even an associate's degree speaks about your intentions and your background and your discipline. Again, and the employer can say, and you're trainable. I know that you have some abilities, even if you can't show me what you know. If it's coding, which is, I think, a a great example because that's black and white. But we still want to know, do you get along with people? Do you have a life? Are you going to make a good long-term employee for us or not? Um, And two years, or can I ask, Brandon, your boot camp, is that Mm -hmm. a one-year program or two years or... Um, so right now we have like basically part-time in person and then online we're developing one that's like 12 week, nine to five. Uh, so you're just basically coming in nine to five working real intense all day. Yeah. So very like fire hose type, like you're going to learn the cores, you're going to learn the tools that most companies are using these days, whether it's, you know, analytics, social, email, SEO, different stuff. I mean, it's pure digital. Obviously there's billboards and newspapers. So focus at market campus at least is pure like digital marketing mm-hmm. uh, in that area. And so, yeah, but, it's but very... to answer your question, it's nine weeks currently. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yes and no, but it's in development. But, it was nine weeks. It's, it's be 12. a certificate. There's, there's a little, yeah, there's a certificate. And the, the, the big emphasis we put on there is the experience. I mean, for me, so like I worked at 97th floor with Paxton and, and, and Jacob and really the main reason I got hired I found out later was I had like a little website I developed on the side. It was just like a little, you know, dinky Utah high school sports, uh, website. And I'm actually wearing UT press. Sure. I didn't even think about that. 
Um, but yeah, that that just showed uh, the boss at the time that oh, this guy like took the initiative in his own time to like develop something, and that's really what we try to instill in the students at Market Campus is. You know, you may not, some of them have college degrees, other ones don't, or maybe they've dropped out. And I just tell them, like, for me as a hiring manager, and I get it's different at bigger companies like Microsoft and Adobe and whatnot. But if you come in and you can, like, show me that you've done this on social or you've, like, built this up, that's going to speak volumes because I'm not, like, taking a gamble on, well, he worked here, he might be good. I I will say to back Brandon up, um, like, I do uh, most of the hiring at Nice and Floor and Granted, we are uh, we're an agency. We're not a, a, a huge corporation, so uh, I don't have a, a set number of criteria that like I get to decide what are the rules about who gets in, and who doesn't. Uh, <clears throat> I work a lot with universities, and so uh, by and large, we hire university grads. However, I will say, uh, in regards to digital specifically, ninety uh, percent of the grads are coming in unprepared uh, for digital. Uh, and so I always favor those students that have both their education as well as supplementary experience outside of their coursework, because I also love when they have projects that they themselves initiated and had the drive to complete rather than it being tied to a grade or someone asking them to do something, uh, like a UT prep. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Just like that. And so, uh, I, I like that to augment, uh, an education. Um, but I, I found, uh, one thing that I kind of get with a lot of people, college grads, is I know that they can communicate. I know that they can write emails. They can put together a report that's going to, like, they're usually, like, the chances of me finding success in terms of their ability to communicate is higher uh, than uh, pulling anybody. Um, and so I like that, and that's why I, I kind of work a lot with universities as a part of a reason. So, Brandon, uh, do you really quick, I do have another thing. Um, I kind of want to ask you, uh, Paul, you mentioned you don't think it's a trend and uh, I don't. I feel like I'm seeing something different. Like I, with all that's going on with uh, student debt, uh, kind of increasing to uh, huge, huge levels, and it's it's poised to only get worse. Um, and then tons of these boot camps popping up, uh, gaining more and more funding, more and more students, and more and more credibility within the workforce. Uh, it seems to me like college traditional universities are a little bit on their heels, and uh, as people uh, rise in the ranks like Brandon, who come from uh, a boot camp style education, that kind of stuff, uh, as they get to the points where they become the decision makers, don't you see uh, university becoming less essential? Uh, granted, you know, Brandon is maybe representing a small percentage, but as time goes on, if trends continue the way they're going right now, it seems like Brandon will eventually be representing a larger percentage uh, of uh, people in decision making uh, uh, positions at, in, in uh, corporations. And, and <clears throat> I would stick with my no answer uh, because I don't think that it's I don't think that the importance of a formal higher education is really going away. It seems to be taking slightly different forms. Uh, for one, we work very closely with Salt Lake Community College to what's called matriculate their associates' degrees in business to come right into the university system if they wish, and they can get a two-year associates from a college, and it's it's. I've got a lot of respect for Slick, and I, I'm i using them as one of those levels. But no, I think that there are alternatives, and the university is changing. So, uh, you know, as a business or, sorry, as a producer of graduates walking out the door, mm-hmm. if you take that model rather than the student as a customer, 
And in that idea, we are trying to educate people for today's world. And so we offer hybrid courses. Uh, my marketing management course went online, completely online. One of the reasons is classroom crunch. Uh, we just didn't have the space to do face-to-face. And there was enough there to put that course online. When they start to adapt like that, then they're entering a competitive environment that says, well, at your convenience, you can get this piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The difficulty is, and I think that we will see ups and downs, this could be a cycle towards, like you said, debt is a problem. Um, even branding for some of the universities is kind of an issue. <clears throat> but from what I see at the University of Utah, that school is is taking very good care of its future, trying to put value in that piece of paper. Yeah. Have, have you had any discussions or heard any discussions about um, university faculty talking about boot camps and, and what the future of boot camps might do in, in harming this path that, that they're taking? Good question. No, not specifically. More than that, we look at MOOCs. And we look at the the online, not university affiliated uh, education so, as being I saw, a threat. I saw Brandon. Can uh, you say MOOC? I don't know what that. MOOC. I don't know what that is. Yeah. What is a what's a MOOC? A multi. I think it's massive, massive. open online courses, right? Yeah. Something like that. It's but an yeah, acronym. Udemy, Pluralsight, like stuff like okay. that. Okay. And, uh, Video recording, hundreds if not thousands of students at a time being taught. But, but it is, again, it's very generic and uh, strengths and weaknesses. We've, we've been feeling more threatened about that. And I'm speaking personally about uh, colleagues, conversations yeah. with my colleagues up there. Uh, and my response has been, well, they will be there and they will offer something, but it's not the same. And what the university has, again, because of the experience is slightly different. But even if we offer an online MBA – at the David Eccles School of Business, they still try to make that qualitatively different than what you get at a MOOC. Well, they have to. Or University of Phoenix. Yeah. As, mm-hmm. And again, from a business standpoint or a marketing standpoint, the product has to differentiate. You have to say, well, it has this value because it's going to cost you this money. And you're going to say you have a, an MBA from the University of Utah. Yeah. But yeah, it, it gets a little complicated. But to answer your question again, it's just no I haven't had conversations about boot camps being a threat to the university as much as we have this the online MOOCs. the online threat. Yeah, I get that. Itself or Brandon is uh, is is uh, transitioning into a MOOC, aren't you? I guess you could say, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of online emphasis right now. Mm-hmm. When I was just talking, so earlier this afternoon, I was talking to a BYU professor, and uh, he was mentioning his frustration as like a professor, how he feels his hands are a little bit tied behind his back. Just because, you know, programs, they start out something like a University of Phoenix where they're completely private. You know, they can update their curriculum on the, fr- on the fly. But now, like, when he wants to teach a specific thing, especially when it comes to, like, you know, even if it's something with Snapchat, like a change, he kind of has to go through the chain of command saying, like, hey, we want to be able to do this. So I wasn't sure. if I mean, I've, I've read stuff where that's usually the the bigger frustration of professors is that they feel that they have to go through a lot of the red tape. Have you experienced the same thing at the U, or is it totally different to where if you want to implement something in the curriculum, you can go for it? Absolutely, Brandon. Yeah, I, I've been given 
I want to say free reign, but within reason. Again, if the students go running to the dean that I'm being offensive or I'm not getting the job done, they don't feel like getting an education, that feedback can ruin my position and I don't keep my job. But so, no, so I, your curriculum does not have to be pre-approved before you Choose the you textbook, teach. pick the subjects I want to focus on. Uh, my teaching style also is, has never been brought into question. I, I, I tend to use cognitive dissonance a little bit. I'll throw something out there that you might not agree with that will keep you awake because you're going, did he just say that? <laughs> what, well, what did he mean? And, and I'll confront you because I teach a 7.30 a.m. class and I pride myself in everybody staying awake. But I have to be a little bit controversial and within reason, right? Mm-hmm. So, is, so that, is that for both the international business and the marketing class? Both. Well, like you get, like, do you deal with the same uh, faculty? I mean, or, or are you kind of split between? Uh, is the marketing classes taught in the business school? Yes. Okay, so you're you're in the business school and you deal with the same. This international folks. business class is also housed in marketing. Okay. Again, it's it's bureaucracy and it depends on. Turf, turf wars and yeah. who gets to do what. But yeah, the marketing department is responsible for this international business class, which is required for international studies. Yeah. But business majors can take it because it qualifies for one of the international classes. They have to take two of in their four-year degree. They have to have an upper division, international focus to two different courses. This qualifies. Uh, so I, I get the mix. I get students who have never had econ never wanted to take a business course, hate the idea. They're altruistic. They're going to go into nonprofit work yeah. or something like that. They've waited until the last minute to take a business course. And then I got guys that are graduating in finance in the same class, and I have to keep it interesting. And, yeah. and we no, that makes sense. the range of, of stuff. So, yeah, so I, I have to be on my own, or I'm allowed to do that on my own and decide. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Stuff. I love that. We are, uh, I think we're getting pretty close to the end, but I have a couple of uh, things that I want to bring up. Uh, I, this conversation has been slightly lopsided towards the university side. And I wanted to ask Brandon two questions, uh, to kind of give him a chance to, uh, talk about the boot camp side. Um, Brandon, if, if somebody came to you, that same person, and they said that they're leaning towards university and you, uh, had to convince them to go boot camp, how would you do it? Uh, well, again, if they were saying I, uh, if they're wanting to work at Adobe and be the senior, analyst uh that would be very tough to convince them no no don't say that don't say that i don't you have to convince them them, you have to even if they want to work at adobe if they want to be whatever you convince them you have to that's your goal or you're uh you're out of a job murdered i think (laughs) i think my um i guess the big selling points is uh really comes down to the roi of things i mean marketing as much as I love being a marketer and I take pride in it, it's a very, it's not like, this is not rocket science. This it, is it, a pretty we, easy topic to learn. We keep saying marketing too. I think we, yeah, we need to say, say digital, digital that's marketing because we're, I mean, we're not talking product price, uh-huh. price place. We're just talking the promotion aspect. Yeah. Uh-huh. And at that, just the digital part. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. For Breeze launching a new product and coming up, like that's a totally different thing. And in, and right now in 2017, universities are the best equipped um, for those types of areas, but you're not convincing me, but I'm saying like, the <laughs> don't be so diplomatic marketing and like learning how businesses and consumers are using the internet today. I mean, all the attention is, is on social, it's people opening their emails and that's what these businesses are trying to crack. And for the price it would cost to either like learn online or to go through like a more intense hands-on boot camp, the amount, the, the amount of money that you're going to be saving and the amount of years 
that you're able just to get in, like you're going to get trained enough to get an entry-level job. And then at that point, you're getting professional training. And I believe no matter what topic, like professional training is always going to be superior to classroom training, which is why, you know, universities push internships and whatnot. So that's kind of my big push, I guess. If I had to convince on just like a flat scale, I would say you're going to save money and four years of your like you're in four years, you're going to be someone's boss uh, versus hoping to get a job. And uh, you're going to start out entry level, but odds are you're probably going to start out entry level with your college degree. And again, it's the the guy who wants to be the executive at some big company. He's going to have a slower path yeah, at, at degree right now. If I can uh, add, again, I think it's pretty clear. I'm on the college side here uh, by and large, uh, but to add a little more fuel to your fire uh, in digital marketing, specifically the field is ripe right now. And uh, like going backwards, I, I can say honestly that if I had just started uh, four years ago, uh, or actually, I mean, I started college back in 2005. So if I had started back in 2005, I could potentially be a very, very rich man if I had just started my own thing back then. But that is uh, uh, kind of a luck. Uh, a luck element would have been in that because of the explosiveness of our industry. And I think it's continuing to explode. And so the opportunity is still there. Uh, you can't, that same thing can't be said for every industry. Uh, That's right. Not, it's not all growing at the same rate. So it might, you know, there's some risk there. So uh, that's a, that's very interesting because as, I think we are at this point where if you start in in the professional world now, you could still be considered a pioneer. Yeah. Whereas if you wait four years with digital marketing, with digital marketing, yep. you you might miss that, right? Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I will say too. It, it, I, I kind of get the sense. Uh, my prediction. I think I've said this on the show before. I see our industry moving towards uh, something a little more regulated than what it is now. Uh, like uh, it's amazing how much power people who control like the SEO of a website wield, uh, to the point where like fiscally you have the potential to cause some serious damage. Uh, and so I can see, uh, uh, some things happening. Like there was a situation where the guy, uh, was a contractor for HP doing SEO uh, for them. And, uh, he kind of held their whole site hostage because he held, uh, I can't remember. He like threatened to do negative SEO. I, I don't remember the situations there. But he ended up being sued in court and uh, lost uh, uh, for quite a bit of money. And uh, anyway, so I, as things like that happen, as people make mistakes, similar to how a surgeon has the potential to cause a lot of damage, so there's tons of regulation, accounting, some, same thing. Uh, I could see there being some kind of, uh, not, nothing as serious as that, but at least some kind of uh, desire for regulation or certification, uh, given how much potential damage one has to uh, p- could cause within our industry. Yeah, that's a really good point. My last thing, Brandon, I, I want you to address uh, critics of boot camps in a specific way, because in a lot of ways, uh, and, and most ways maybe, what you are doing is you're collecting information that can be obtained for free elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So you're aggregating information and you're selling information that can be found uh, elsewhere. So if somebody takes the time to go find out uh, reading articles uh, all around the, the web uh, and they're saying, you are charging me for information I can find anywhere, how do you address the critics who would uh, push people away from boot camps because all you're doing is paying for stuff you can get? Yeah, let, let's pretend somebody says, uh, like, should I do uh, a boot camp or should I just go out there? And someone says, hey, you know what? Go get an internship, find someone in the industry who's been doing it a couple of years, and read articles, watch all the Whiteboard Fridays on Moss, and mm-hmm. save yourself 
uh, a few thousand bucks and the time. So my answer, so my details are blurry on this. Several years ago, MIT released, I don't know if it was all their curriculum, like within a department or school-wide, but they just put everything out online. Uh I think it was for free and you could just go through it. It didn't affect their enrollment at all. And that the whole thing that they were, I guess, trying to prove was, or at least I don't know if they were trying, but what it did prove is that people value uh, structure. And that's why college, that's why people still go to colleges is they like to have a professor who is making them accountable for things, uh, explaining things in person. Yes. I mean, any topic you can think of, uh, with the exception, I guess, of being a doctor, like you know, doing brain surgery. I don't know of any YouTube videos <laughs> that, you know, teach you how to do brain surgery and whatnot, but there's so much information out there and you can learn for free. I mean, for the most part, I guess I've learned uh, almost everything I've learned for free. A lot of it was in a professional environment and whatnot. I'm sure, you know, learning online or going through boot camp beforehand would have, uh, you know, increased that speed. But that's the big thing that people pay for is just that structure. And that's why people come to me like for the in-person boot camps is over the online courses. Cause our online courses really are targeted more towards like small business owners who they just need like a little like online playbook of what are the things I can do today, next week to, mm-hmm. you know, beef up Instagram, get sales through YouTube and whatnot. Uh, but the in-person like that's people just, they are willing to pay, as much money as it takes to get that mentoring from a real person and actually collaborate with other people and make those connections. And so it's very similar to universities. I guess the difference is much more fast paced and generally and the much is more about affordable. 30 to $50,000. And a lot more affordable. <laughs> yeah. But, and there's pros and cons to that, obviously that you're not getting in college, um, that you're getting there, vice versa. Yeah. So I'm not I, sure if that answers it. No, I accept that answer. I definitely do. Uh, we are out of time. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show. My pleasure. Uh, this is this is one of those conversations that we love to bring up. Uh, it's probably been the one that has been most talked about. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate having um, someone with your background on the show to, to kind of give that perspective. If you're listening and you have found value in the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps out a lot. If you want to get in contact with the show, whether it's to submit topic ideas or get in touch with us, if you want to join the show, uh, you can reach out on email. That's inbound at belowthefold.io. Uh, alternatively, you can reach us on Twitter, and that's belowthefold. I always say dot on that. Belowthefold.io. Uh, and uh, that's it. Next week, we have Sonder Schroeder on the show. Uh, we look forward to that. And until then, we'll see you below the fold. <laughs>